Well, I, dear friends, shall return to the good word of God. And we're turning to the gospel according to John, please. There's one thing we must remember that when we turn to John's gospel, that John is writing his gospel many, many years after the other gospel writers of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. According to some Bible scholars, John wrote his lovely gospel in the great city of Ephesus, round about A.D. 85 to A.D. 90. So keep it in mind, dear friends, when you turn to John's gospel, John is an old man, reckoned to be in his 90s, and he's going to present a lovely portrait of the one that he loved and served for so many years. Very interesting that uh, we have four Gospels. We have the Gospel of Matthew, and then Mark, and then Luke. If you're conversing with Matthew's Gospel, you will of course know uh, that Matthew is going to present the Lord uh, as the fulfillment uh, of um, messianic prophecy. And he's going to present the Lord Jesus uh, as Israel's long-promised Messiah. And that is why in his gospel, over and over again, you have those words, that it might be fulfilled that it might be fulfilled, that it might be fulfilled. And what he's doing, he's linking the Old Testament messianic prophecies and he's going to show how they were minutely and precisely fulfilled in the life of the Lord Jesus. He was Israel's long-promised Messiah. Of course, they rejected him as the Messiah, but... uh, According to the Bible prophecy, the time will come in which they will acknowledge him as uh, the Messiah. And then when you come to Mark's Gospel, you find that Mark's going to present the Lord Jesus uh, as God's perfect servant. Now, if we're saved by God's grace, uh, we are all his servants, uh, but not one of us would claim perfection. God had only one perfect servant, and that was his own beloved son. And in Mark's gospel, you find that Mark will present him in a wonderful way of how he is the servant of God, going about doing good, and healing all that were oppressed by the devil. So Matthew, written to present Jesus as the Messiah, Mark to present him as God's perfect servant. And then when you come to Luke, Dr. Luke's gospel, you find that Dr. Luke is going to present him as the perfect man. Man as God intended man to be. And Dr. Luke presents our Lord Jesus as the perfect man. But when you come to John's Gospel, 
you find that John's going to present Jesus not as the Messiah, not as the servant, not as the perfect man, but he's going to present him as the eternal Son of God. Now, we know that because John tells us why he wrote the gospel. Slip over to John's gospel, chapter 20, please. And let me show you this. John's Gospel, chapter 20. And here's what John says in verse 30. He says, and many, and many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. Now notice this. But these are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. So there's the reason why John wrote his gospel, to present Jesus as the Son of the living God. And that is why John commences his gospel so differently from Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And here's how he commences in John chapter 1 and verse 1. He says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. And then down to verse 9, That was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. Came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them give he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And then notice this great verse. And the word was made flesh, and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And that's the portrait that John's going to present to his original readers uh, way back in the first century A.D. Going to present Jesus as the Son of God. Uh, there are those who take the view that Jesus became the Son of God at his uh, incarnation. Uh, some believe that he became the Son of God at his resurrection. Some believe he became the Son of God at his glorious ascension. But the Bible clearly teaches, as we shall see, that he was the eternal Son of God. Now, I don't know if you've been to an art gallery, if you're interested in that sort of thing, and you're looking at a, a great portrait or a great picture, 
Now what you don't do is you just don't pass it by. You take the time to, to look at it very carefully. You survey it. You look at the different uh, aspects, the different facets, and you try and get into the mind of the artist uh, as he paints uh, that wonderful picture, that wonderful portrait. And here in John's Gospel, John is presenting a portrait of the Son of God. And if John was standing here this evening, he would say, my dear friends, I want you to look at this portrait and I want you to see very clearly three distinct things about the portrait. I want you, first of all, to see his etonology. In the beginning was the words. And then he would say, secondly, I want you to see his distinct person. And the word was with God. And then thirdly says, I want you most important of all to see his essential deity. And the word was God. And it's around these three things we're going to centre our teaching this evening. And next week, the Lord willing, we're going to have a look at the great subject of the incarnation of the eternal Son of God. And then thirdly, in the third week, we shall see that there are four things we must always keep in mind when we begin to think about the person of our wonderful and glorious Lord. But this evening, we're centering our thoughts on these three features that we can clearly see in John's portrait of the Son of God. Notice he says, see his etymology. He says, in the beginning was the words. We ask the question, beginning of what? And of course your mind goes back, does it not, to Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So John's going to take us a way, way back to the very beginning. The beginning of the universe, the beginning of the planets, the beginning of Mother Earth, the beginning of everything apart from God. Now isn't that a marvellous way to commence his gospel? Takes it way, way back. What's he, what's he going to show? What's he going to prove? Simply this. That whenever the beginning was, he was already there. In the beginning was the words. Now, of course, there are those who would believe in the great Big Bang Theory up in 17.9 billion years ago. Well, if that was what happened, he was there at the Big Bang Theory, if you accept that. But whatever the time was, the beginning was, the Lord Jesus was already there. Now, let me show you this. 
as you remember on one occasion, the Lord was speaking to uh, the Jews, scribes and Pharisees, and he said something very interesting. He said, Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And he saw it and was glad. And immediately the Jews said, You are not yet fifty years old, and have you seen Abraham? Now here's what the Lord said. Listen very carefully. He says, Verily, verily I say unto you, Before Abraham was... I am. Not I was, but I am. Before Abraham was even born, the Lord said, I am. And then do you remember in John's Gospel, chapter 17, and that really is the Lord's Prayer. What we call the Lord's Prayer, our Father which art in heaven, is really the disciples' prayer. The pattern, the model of how we should pray. You go to John's Gospel, there you have the Lord's Prayer. My, what a prayer it is. And here's what he says. He says, Father, I will, whom they, whom they have, those that you have given me, be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory. Listen to this. For thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. So before Abraham was, before earth's foundation was even laid, the Lord said, I shared with you the glory before the world was even brought into existence. And dear friends, does that not show us very clearly his eternality? In the beginning was the Word, the eternal Son of God. But then John would say, not just see his eternality, but notice his distinct person. He says, and the Word was with God. My dear friends, you will excuse me at this point if we, we be, if we be a wee bit technical. It's not for me to try and appear clever. That's not the reason. But you must all remember that your Bible that you have in front of you was not written originally in English. The Bible was written in Hebrew with regard to the Old Testament and the New Testament was originally written in Greek. Now, there were two types of Greek. You had what was known as the classical Greek. That's the Greek of the, of the philosophers like Plato and Aristotle. But then you had just the ordinary Greek of the fishermen, of the merchants, of everyday people living in the first century. And our New Testament wasn't written in classical Greek. It was written just in ordinary everyday Greek. 
And what you have in front of you is a translation from the Hebrew into English and from the Greek into English. Because if you couldn't read Hebrew or Greek, well then you couldn't understand it. And we are greatly indebted to men of ability who were able to translate from Hebrew into English and from Greek into English so that we have a translation in front of us. Now, I don't know if you've ever done any language study in your lives, but you know that when you translate from one language into another, Sometimes you, you, you lose the beauty and the splendor and the significance of the original. And sometimes that's hard to avoid. And sometimes when you read the, uh, the English translation, it does not do justice to the original. So what you have to do is to go back beyond the English, back to the original, and find out how it would appear in the original language. Now follow very carefully. John says, and the word was with God. And John uses a very precise Greek preposition. Pros. P-R-O-S. Pros. Now, Greek prepositions were very precise. They were geometrically precise. And you can see how God chose the Greek language to convey truth. So what John is actually saying here... He says, and the word was facing God. The Lord, the, the word was face to face with God. That's the strength of the original little Greek preposition. Prose. The word was face to face with God. What's John showing? He is saying, see the distinct person. And here, friends, we're into a great mystery. Try and follow me. We are Trinitarians. That is to say, we believe in the Trinity. Now, I know, of course, the word Trinity does not appear in the Bible. Of course it doesn't. But the doctrine is. And the Bible clearly teaches that in the glorious Trinity, you have the Father, and you have the Son, and you have the Holy Spirit. Not three gods, but three distinct persons in the Trinity. And we, you must never get the persons mixed up. If you do, you are going to be confused in your thinking. The Father is not the Son. And the Son is not the Father. And the Father and the Son is not the Holy Spirit. They are three distinct persons. A great mystery, of course. 
but that is what the Bible clearly teaches and when John says and the word was face to face with God he's drawn the distinction between the son the word and the father And how many times have I heard in a break in a bread service, thank you, Heavenly Father, for dying for me on the cross. It wasn't the Father died for you, dear, on the cross. It was the Lord Jesus, the Son of God. The Father couldn't die, but... uh, Because of his incarnation, our Lord Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, could come down and could go to the cross and die. And then sometimes we hear the Holy Spirit referred to as it. Oh no, friends, the Holy Spirit is not it. He is a person, like the Father unlike the son and our Lord Jesus in John's gospel in John chapter 13 14, 15 and 16 gives us a great teaching about the Holy Spirit the paraclete and time and time again he says he shall testify of me he shall glorify me he shall take of my things and reveal them unto you. Who's he talking about? He's talking about the Holy Spirit as a person. Very interesting that in Greek spirit is neuter. And yet the Lord deliberately uses a masculine pronoun. He shall glorify me he shall testify of me so here in John you see his eternality in the beginning was the word you see his distinct person and the word was face to face with God the father but then John would say but wait a minute See his essential deity. And the word was God's. Now I'm going to take you people back to your school days. And for some of us you're going back a long, long time. Back to your school days. Do you remember in the English, in, in the English lesson? How the teacher, he or she, would stand up and would give you the structure of a sentence. You have the subject, and then you have the predicate. Does that bring back memory to you? The English subject, predicate. Here's the interesting thing, dear friends. When John wrote, and the word was God... He reverses it and he gives us the predicate first and then the subject. So literally it it reads in the Greek, and God was the word. You see, God was the word. 
the predicate first, then the subject. To show to us clearly the deity, the full orb deity of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you remember what Thomas said in John chapter 20? We call him Doubting Thomas, and probably was. On one occasion, he missed the meeting. And I'm always exhorting God's people over the years, try not to miss meetings. Because if you miss a meeting, something might happen, and you're not there, and you've missed it. And for some reason, Thomas wasn't at the meeting. But what happened? The Lord appeared in the meeting. And when they met Thomas, they said, Thomas, he's, he's alive. We've seen him. We've seen him. He's alive. And then Thomas said, uh, you boys, move to all this emotionalism. Unless I can see the prints of the nails. Unless I can put my finger in the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And then he was at the, he was at the next meeting. And the Lord appeared to Thomas. And he said, Thomas, you want evidence? You want proof? Here it is. See the print of the nails. Put your hand in the side. Be not faithless, but believing. And then came from his heart and his lips one of the greatest affirmations of all time. He says, my Lord and my God. What an affirmation. My Lord and by God. Uh, on one occasion, it was a Saturday morning, and I was actually in prayer when the doorbell rang. And when I went to open the door to see who was the other side, there was a man and there was a woman. And I knew immediately who they were. Jehovah's Witnesses. You've had them? And of course, uh, having studied their theology over the years, I, I knew exactly what they were going to say. And when I speak to the Jehovah's Witnesses friends, and here's a wee lesson to learn. Don't get involved with the bottle of Armageddon. Don't get involved with the 144,000 witnesses. Oh no. I confront him with one question. What think you of Christ? And having studied their theology, I know exactly what they're going to say. And I can give it verbatim, word for word. They deny completely the deity of the Lord Jesus. They believe, to use their own language, he was the highest of all Jehovah's creation. And remember, when they come to your door, they'll not be using your Bible. They'll be using the New World Translation. 
and the New World Translation has it, and the Word was a God. Big God, small God. A very poor translation. Because the Greek language does not have the indefinite article. It has the definite article, but not the indefinite article. And yet they say, and the word was a God. Now you try and be very gracious of these people. And I said, referring to the man, I said, sir, would you, would you answer me a question? Oh, yes, he says, I'll be quite happy to, to, to answer your question. And I referred him to this incident of Thomas. And I said, sir, do you remember when Thomas saw the risen Christ? He made those tremendous words, my Lord and my God. Tell me, sir, was Thomas wrong? And without a moment's hesitation, the man said, yes, he was wrong. What happened, he said, was that Thomas got a wee bit excited. And before he knew it, he says, my Lord and my God. But he was wrong. I think, actually, I had my Bible with me at the doorstep. And I said, sir, you believe that he was wrong? Oh, yes. Well, then they tell me, if he was wrong, do you think the Lord would have corrected him and said, Thomas, you've made a mistake. I'm not your Lord. I'm not your God. Now, sir, would you please show me here in the Bible where the Lord Jesus corrected Thomas? and said, Thomas, you've made a mistake. He looked at his watch and he said, we shall have to be going. You see, friends, the Lord didn't have to correct Thomas because what came from the lips of Thomas was a true affirmation. He was his Lord and his God. We must hold on to, most tenaciously, the full orb deity of our wonderful and glorious Lord. See his eternality. In the beginning was the Word. See his distinct person, and the Word was face to face with the Father. See his essential deity. And God was the Word. John couldn't put it any stronger. Proclaiming the deity of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now the Lord willing, next Sunday, we're going to enter into a great subject. And we're going to expound verse 14. And we're going to have a look at two things. We're going to have a look at his, his incarnation. And the word became flesh. And then we shall see his unique glory. And we beheld his glory. 
the glorious of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Thank you for your patient listening. Forgive me if my voice is a bit husky this evening, but uh, the Lord willing, perhaps next Sunday it'll be better. May the Lord bless his word, and may it help us in the weeks that lie ahead just to appreciate our wonderful and our glorious Lord Jesus. What a saviour he is tonight. Your saviour and my saviour. Amen. May God bless you.